Amen. You can be seated. And as you're seated, children, you can be released for Children's Church this morning. And then if everyone else would turn with me this morning to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Or we also have the scripture journals for you as well, which is kind of just a great way to have the scripture, the text that I'll be reading from, and then a space for notes as well. And so uh, you can have that. So Philippians, this book that we've been walking through together, that we're, we hold in our hands this morning, we've talked about that this is God's word to us. It's infallible. It's a, it's a perfect word, and it's useful for, for correcting and training and leading us in, in the teachings of Jesus. It was also written by a man named Paul, who was in prison when he wrote this letter. He's writing it to a church that he helped plant some years prior, but Paul is in prison in Rome. This church is in Philippi, and, and there's a little bit of disagreement in the church because some people were upset with Paul. They're like, he, he shouldn't have gone to Jerusalem. He shouldn't have gotten arrested. He shouldn't have asked to see the, the emperor. But this church in Philippi was standing beside Paul. They sent him support in the form of a person, in the form of finances. And this letter represents a thank you note, essentially a missionary thank you letter to the church that has supported him and has stood by him. And it's a, a letter of, of encouragement. It's a, it's a letter of conviction and, and challenge that he's writing to the, the Philippian church in the midst of seemingly some challenges, challenges that are facing because of even Paul's imprisonment. Uh, persecution is on the rise. There's um, opponents to the church at the time. And so Paul's encouraging them because I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but have you ever gone through seasons of discouragement? Like the doubts when you're alone, like, why am I doing this? I feel like I'm just making life harder for myself. I see other people who are just doing whatever they want. They're not following any kind of ethics. They're not following Jesus's teaching. They're just doing what's best for them. And they seem to be succeeding and perfectly happy. But here I am trying to follow the narrow path of Jesus's teaching. And for what? What's the benefit? It's only creating more challenges and more difficulties. Do I continue? And in those moments of quiet discouragement and doubt, this is where the passage speaks to us this morning. It's encouragement to the Christian this morning who's discouraged. And it's encouraging us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to pray, and then we'll be reading verses 12 through 18 of chapter 2 together. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. Lord, that we have together to sit under together the authority of your word. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds to perceive your truth, that you would use these words for your glory in our lives. Lord, to, to correct where correction is needed, to encourage where there's discouragement this morning. And so, Lord, we we ask that you would lead and guide this time, guide my words, guide our understanding together under the authority of your word. And in Jesus' name, amen. So let's read the text together and then we'll walk back through it. So chapter two, beginning in verse 12, the apostle Paul writes, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with 
fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world." holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or, or labor in vain, even, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is God's word. But look at where it begins, this first word, therefore. It's always that context that when you see this word, it means that, that we're laying something on a foundation that's already been said. This foundation is what we talked about last week. When you look in, in the first 11 verses of chapter 2 and we see it says, have the same mind, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who didn't, wasn't trying to become God because he is God. He knew who he was, and it was like, I want you to have this same attitude. Understand who you are, not just ignoring yourself, but giving of yourself in who you really are. It says Jesus had the attitude of a servant, though he created everything. He came to serve, not to be served. And so in the same way, we're to share that attitude, not to hold on to our rights and privileges together, but to lay them down in service of others. It says Jesus, in his attitude, took on the likeness of mankind. In the same way, we are called to enter into the brokenness and hurt of our communities. And it says that Jesus became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Not just as an example to us, but also in the reality that he died for our sins. And because of this truth, then we are called to live in a way that can give of ourselves sacrificially for the good of others. Therefore, it says, therefore, because of these truths, my beloved. See, it's these kind of phrases that I think sometimes we can too quickly overlook. But when we kind of slow down and we begin to meditate on them, like in my own preparation, when I kind of read down, okay, what does that mean? Just asking questions. I realize there's a tone here. Like, have you ever misread a, misread a tone of an email or a text message? You assume something much harsher than how they intended it, and so you respond based on how you understood the tone, and then all of a sudden you have this misunderstanding, or somebody misunderstood your tone, and you're like, whoa, that was a response, wasn't it? The same thing can happen when we approach Scripture. We assume a tone. But it's not just the words that we're seeking to understand, it's also the tone of the scripture that we're trying to understand. This isn't like, you guys, stop it. This is my beloved. This is dear friends is how the Christian Standard Bible translates it. Like, this is, I love you. This is, we're in this together. This is something, this is the tone in which these words are coming out. There is care, there is concern, there is affection in these words. Therefore, my beloved, it says, live out your salvation as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence. 
Think about it. This is something we want in that person I have said to our kids, right? There's this difference between an internal and external motivation. Like, we want our kids to not just obey us when we're there. Like, our concern is to shepherd a child's heart so that when we're not there, they choose to do the right thing. Not just because they're afraid to get a punishment, but because it's the right thing. And we try to raise our kids because there's concern. Like, what happens when they're out of the house? What happens then when they're with their friends or alone? What will they choose to do then? And there's concern there. It's the same conversation Paul's having with the church. He's like, look, I know you have always obeyed. When I was there, you've obeyed, and I'm so thankful for this. And I love you guys for this. Because when I'm there, you have always obeyed. But now, I want you to be mindful because when I'm not there, I still want you to do the right thing. Whether I'm there or not, because Paul's wrestling. He doesn't know if he's getting out of prison. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He's already acknowledged that previously. If I live, it's for your benefit. If I die, I get to be with Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm coming back to you. But I want you to follow Jesus, whether I'm there or not. I want you to to walk along the path of Jesus' teaching, whether I'm looking over your shoulder and I'm in your presence or if I'm not. Like, have you ever noticed that, that people act differently, maybe, when they hear that you're a Christian? Like, I was recently talking with someone, and, and, and the conversation has a lot of colorful language in it. They don't know who I am, and I've just met them on the street. And, and the stories have a lot of profanities in them. And then it comes to the question, so what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor, and you just see this shock. Like... And I said what I just said, and now they're like backtracking. Oh, yes, I I go to church sometimes. And like, let me ask you this. If I could hang out with you all week, like if I was there when you're disciplining your kids, when you're upset with your spouse, if I was listening into those conversations, the the jokes you tell coworkers at work. If I was there looking over your shoulder as you're flipping through your phone, if I was there sitting on the couch as you're watching your favorite show, would that be embarrassing? Like, you know that feeling like when your parents come in, I've seen it with my own kids, and, and it's all of a sudden you notice like every cuss word or every like naughty innuendo, and you're like, no, 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 really, it's not normally like this. You just happen to come in at a bad time. <clears throat> There's this sense of this is what Paul's saying. Look, I, whether I'm there or not, I, I want you to continue to obey. Live out your salvation. Work out your salvation. I want you to take responsibility for your walk with God. Now, I want you to hear what it is saying and what it's not saying. It's not saying, I want you to work for your salvation. Right? It's not saying, hey, I want you to do the right thing. I want you to to make the right decisions. I want you to watch the right TV shows and not use naughty words. And and if you do all these things, then you'll be saved. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying work for your salvation. That would be like me telling you, hey, right now, after the service, we are all going to run a marathon barefoot. Okay, and if you succeed, then I'll get you running shoes. 
Now, I want you to follow this train of thought. Now, all of us, I'm assuming I would die. Like, that's not happening. Not just before my feet ever gave out. Like, I couldn't do it. But that's what we, we tend to say when we say work for your salvation. Do the impossible, and then if you succeed, maybe you'll get something out of it. It's saying work out your salvation. See, the reality is because of Christ, therefore, because of what Christ has done, you are saved. You are redeemed. You are a new creation. You are a child of God. You have been renewed. You have been given a new heart, a new spirit inside of you. Now live that out. That's like saying, I'm going to give you a pair of running shoes and I'm going to give you legs that can endure and I'm going to give you lungs with maximum capacity for the run that's ahead. I'm going to give you a heart that can endure the race that I have set before you and the good works that I've paved on this path. Do you see the difference? Work out, live out your salvation. It's not working for something, it's working in response to it. The ESV Study Bible, which is a great little resource. If you're looking for one resource to help you understand Scripture, this is the one I recommend. The ESV Study Bible. In in its study notes, it said this, Do not be content with past glories, but demonstrate your faith day by day as you nurture your relationship with God. This is part of what it means to work out, live out your salvation. Day by day, not living on past glories. And and it made me realize I wasn't ever trying to think of running a marathon, but I did at one point think about running a 5K. Never happened. It was just a good thought. But it was an app I got that was like from couch potato to 5K. And it just had this thought in my mind. Like sometimes I think we just become like Christian couch potatoes living on past glories, like, oh man, I remember this time like 20 years ago when I stepped out in faith. It was amazing. But now I'm just kind of like sitting here chilling on that past time. Like, what does it look like now today for me to live by faith? Not in the same way, but today. Sometimes I think we get content with what we already know about God, what I've learned. Isn't that a beautiful truth? Yes. But have we exhausted all that God is and who he is? Or is there still more to learn? If I have breath in my lungs, is it, should I just sit here and be content to, to recognize ways I've walked in the faith in the past? But what does that look like today in this stage of life? Now, to live out the realities of my salvation. Where is God calling me to walk by faith today? This is what it means to live out to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But Paul's concern sorry, I need to backtrack a second. If you look at what it says here. For it is God who wills and works in you. This is what I want us to see. It's not just us who works it out. This is the reality of what we see. See, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you see it? 
Like this is where it's like to double down, to work out our salvation is not just working for something, to obtain something, but it's like because of who Christ is, because of what he's done, his humility, the attitude of Jesus Christ who created everything, who is God, becoming a servant, laying down his life to the point of death, even death on the cross. He has saved you. And then he is at work in you. So work out your salvation. And oh, by the way, it's God who works in you. Both to will, to want to, and the ability. Like here's the amazing thing. Like if you're sitting here and you're like, I want to walk by faith. I haven't done it perfectly. Maybe I've gotten a little bit too comfortable with my high school days and and, and who I was in the past in walking by faith. And that's not so much the testimony today. But even if you're sitting here and you're like, I want to, that is the fruit of the Spirit of God at work in you, both to will, to want to, and the ability to actually work that out and live that out. It's not by our own strength, but by his. But here's the thing. Paul isn't just concerned with us doing the right thing. He's like, hey guys, just, I love you all. Just make sure you keep doing the right thing, whether I'm there or not. There's more to it. He's getting to the heart of these people that he cares for deeply. That not just what they do, but also their attitude. Their attitude toward obedience, it it matters. Look at what it says then in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I've come to to realize that I think pastoring and parenting has a lot of similarities. The more I'm just kind of like reading scripture, I'm like, there's a lot of similarities here. There's things that Paul is saying to the church that I found myself saying to my kids. Like, think about it. Like, have you ever set down your kids who are arguing and you're like, hey, I know like you shouldn't punch them in the face, okay? Like I understand they said something to you. I don't know if your kids have ever done this. Mine did that in like a Walmart publicly when that happened. Um, there was this sense of, yes, those are the pastor kids. They're amazing. I love them to death. But there's this sense where you sit them down and you're like, hey, we need to talk, right? Like you guys are fighting this shouldn't have been said, that shouldn't have been said. I need you to apologize. And the response kind of comes out like, sorry. Okay, right word. (laughs) Wrong attitude. Can we work through this? Get to the heart behind there. Why, like, this is what Paul's getting to. It's not just about doing the right thing. It's I want you to have the right attitude that we've had to, to check our kids. Kirsten's had to check me, my wife. Like there were times like my attitude had to be checked as the dad. We, we were getting ready for a vacation and it was one of those times where I'm like, bring all the bags down and I get everything packed like Tetris. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we have extra stuff now and I can't find my shoes and I need a bathroom and where's this? And now we're running late and I'm agitated right? And I'm getting impatient. I'm getting frustrated. I'm annoyed with everybody. And I'm feeling hurried and rushed because there's this imaginary time that we have to beat to get to the destination that I've set. And all of a sudden, then Kirsten looked at me and she's like, you set the pace. 
And it was this check in my spirit that it's true. The kids are going to receive and reflect my attitude. And so if I'm bringing agitation, frustration, impatience, and projecting that, they're going to receive that and reflect it back, and then it all becomes a mess. This is what Paul's getting to at both a heart level and a relationship level. Look at the two words, grumbling. This is something that's internal. It's that murmuring. It's like, I'm doing the right thing, but I don't like it. Sorry. See, I did the right thing. I said the right word. But we can do this as Christians with our obedience to God. I'm serving. I'm doing this. Aren't you happy with me now? But there's this stirring, and God's getting not just to our our action, but our heart. And then we realize that this isn't just what happens internally then gets projected externally and impacts others. This is where the disputing, the the arguments happen, because now that internal grumbling is, is leading to divisions and frustration between people. Because this passage is not just being written to an individual, it's being written to a church. When we look at scripture, it's not just having this personal application. What does this mean to me? Though it does apply that way, but it also applies. What does this mean for us? And there's this aspect, what you bring in attitude to your walk with God impacts the people around you. It impacts the church. And so Paul's saying, look, do all things without grumbling, without disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. This is where we see that pastoring and parenting has a lot of similarities because we are a family. We are children of God. And sometimes we do get on each other's nerves. And sometimes there is conflict. And how do we work through that together as a family? But I also want us to see that our obedience to the teachings of Jesus has a missional impact. It has an impact between just my life and just beyond our life. The way we interact, the way we conduct ourselves personally and corporately in obedience to Jesus' teaching with a heart that's in check, in attitude, displays God's glory to the world. This is exactly what it's saying. That you, beginning in verse 15, may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. In the midst, here's the context in which that's being lived out. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do you see it? The the, the world around us has devised countless ways, countless paths that that would be called crooked, broad, Jesus says. But there is a narrow, straight path that God has laid out in his creation for us to walk and follow him. And the world is in this maze of darkness and crooked paths, celebrating it, promoting it. And he's calling us to walk this straight path and narrow path. And then it says, as we follow in the teachings of Jesus, you will shine as light in the world. 
Now think about this. We're just south of the airport, right? So the image that came to mind, imagine tonight, all the lights in the city go out. It is complete darkness. There's planes overhead flying, hoping to land, but they can't see anything. They can't see any homes, any runways, any roads. They can't see anything. Running out of fuel. Lives in jeopardy. In darkness. Not knowing which path is wide enough or straight enough. Lest they descend and it end in death. Now imagine each one of us holding a light walks out onto the runway. Not just one of us holding there with a single light. But all of us lining up on each side of the runway, holding a light, and all of a sudden, the planes then know where to land. This is the imagery that's coming up. And this is why I think it's important to understand not just the individual application of a passage, but also the corporate. There is a sense of not just my life, not just this little light of mine, but our lights together in relationship with one another with hearts that aren't grumbling, divisions that are being laid down, that in that, that is the means of displaying the truth and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is getting to here. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture, but how do we do that? What is that light that we're carrying what is it that we're holding on to, to to illuminate and display the beauty of the gospel? The beginning of verse, of verse 16 makes it clear. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Holding fast to Christ. This is what displays the glory of God. Not holding on to our reputation, not holding on to our own preferred way of doing things. When we hold fast to the teaching of God's word, when we seek to live not for my own comfort and my own desires, but we seek to live according to the teachings of of Jesus for his glory, it changes. That's what we're holding up. That's what is being displayed through our life as we hold to the word of life. And I want you to hear Paul's heart here because there's, there's kind of this turn. And it's like, I think we feel this, if we're honest, but I want you to hear Paul's, his human heart here. Look, because he's saying, he's challenging the church. I want you to to walk in the ways of Jesus, whether I'm there or not. I, I don't want you to do this with grumbling or complaining or fighting with each other. Like, check your heart in this, because as you do this, as you follow Jesus together, you're going to display his glory to the world that is following crooked paths and they're in darkness. And then we kind of hear him say, and I want you to do this because I don't want my life to be wasted. <laughs> like, he's there, potentially looking at the end of his life. He doesn't know what the future holds. This may be it. He's looking back. He once persecuted the church. He's given his life to serving these people, to seeing their faith flourish. And he's saying, so that in the day, when Christ comes, when his return is there, 
that I want to be proud that I didn't waste my time, that I didn't run in vain. He's like, I, I want, he's saying, I've labored for you. He's like, I've given of myself through thick and thin. Like it, we talked about it in the first week of all the things that he had been through, shipwrecks and, and, and difficulties, floggings, beating. He was flogged there in Philippi. And he's like, I don't want all of this to be wasted because when I'm gone, you guys just decide to go and follow whatever crooked path you've created. I want you to follow the teachings of Jesus. I want you to endure. I want you to be encouraged when there's doubt and discouragement rising because I don't want all of this to be wasted. It matters. That even if I'm to be poured out, he continues in verse 17, as a drink offering. Even if my life, all my energy, my final breath is poured out, and that is in the sacrificial offering for your faith, I'm glad and I'll rejoice in it all. Have you ever felt that way? Like, I know I do. Like, I'll give my dying breath to the gospel. That I love serving here. And I will give of every ounce of strength I have. And I long that it matters, that it produces in you the flourishing of the gospel beyond me, that you will engage in people that I'll never meet. You have a story and a testimony that speak to people that I can't. There is a beauty, and I want that to matter. I want everything I've given my life to, to count for something bigger than myself. And I want... When we stand in eternity, when Christ returns or we go to be with him, we'll reflect on this time we had together. Well, like, remember what God did? Remember those people in the, in the community who today are in darkness, following a crooked path today, but tomorrow they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be drawn to it. The people that we're going to see baptized and we, we gave our lives to this, and it mattered. There will be rejoicing. There is joy at the end. That's what I want us to see, and it's not just for Paul. He's not like, hey, I'm going to be happy, and you're going to be miserable. Sorry. He's like, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Like, there is rejoicing that comes as we follow Jesus. There will be discouragement. There will be doubts along the way, but be encouraged. Encourage one another. Guard your heart from just doing the right thing but with a bad attitude because soon that can lead to disobedience. Whether I'm there looking over your shoulder or not, follow Jesus. This is, do you hear Paul's heart? The tone? There's four truths kind of in closing that I just want to, to highlight. That I want you to to take with you. The first is this, God is working in you. Think of this. This is how it began. We're called to, to work out our salvation. Why? Because it's God who works in you. He wills and works in you for his pleasure. God is at work in you. Don't be a spiritual couch potato. Just sitting, living on the past ways that you followed Jesus, but now you're just sitting back watching everybody else. Ask yourself today, in this stage of life, in this moment, with these gifts, with the time you have, how is God calling you to live out the reality of your salvation? Not to work for it, 
but to work from it. Guard your heart and attitude. This is the second point. Where do you presently have a bad attitude when it comes to obedience? Like, I'm doing the right thing. I don't like it, but I'm doing it. I think we can all get into that at stages, and we need the Holy Spirit to bring conviction at times of where we're just satisfied with doing the right things with the wrong motives. And I think this is an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to shepherd our hearts, for there to be a reality that the world is watching. The way that The thought that comes to mind is sometimes we, we limit mission to just going out and sharing our faith. And there is a need and a call to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that is a necessary aspect of the Christian life. But there's also a, a, a way in which God proclaims the gospel through our life. That as we follow and we hold the teachings of Jesus above our own preferences, desires, for his glory rather than our own, that decision also makes a statement to a world that's in darkness. When we do that with an attitude of humility and joy rather than grumbling and arguing, that also illuminates and shines like a light in the world. It matters. Your walk with God and you taking responsibility for that matters. And joy awaits. Think of that. Joy awaits. Joy is the result. It says he does it for God wills and works in us for his pleasure, for his glory. He will be glorified in it and we rejoice. We get joy. This is the beauty of what Paul is reminding us of this morning. And so it's this call, let us hold on to Jesus. That's the action, hold on to Jesus, because he has taken hold of us. And as he works in us, he will use our lives to illuminate his glory as he gives us deep joy. Let's pray.